go ahead and start right now. Father, we love you and we praise your holy name. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our ears to what you have to show us. We ask that you would speak through Rich, that you would um, bless us, bless us with your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm excited about sharing this one. We've got to fast forward through some of these here because these are the ones from last week, the four words. And then we talked about what does it look like, not physical, spiritual. We didn't even have a question on it. Well, maybe we did. Before Christ, the three Ds. Keep going. After Christ, these were all the ambidextrous. Time, weapons, undivided loyalty. Okay, here we go. So we've talked about the soldier, the war, the soldier. Now we're going to talk about the weapons, and then if we have time, we'll talk about the armor. So there's one story we were using out of the Bible just to illustrate, because it's a story where a plethora of weapons are used, a variety of weapons are used, and it was the story of Jehoshaphat. Uh, I had thought about possibly having us just read through the story first, just pass the Bible and read through the story first, and we might have to pass some Bibles, because you guys are kind of like me, we usually have all the scriptures written out, yes ma'am. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Thank you. Thank you for correcting that. And hopefully I can remember to correct it on the master. I don't have a pen. Can I borrow your pen? I can't believe it. I was writing notes and went off without my pen. Part B at the top in the box. Second Timothy. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. And uh, anytime that happens, please uh, let me know so that. Uh, and, it, and it's 3 and verse 4. Okay. Good, good, good. Appreciate that. So we talked about the soldier last week. We talked about some of the characteristics God taking us and going, wow, watch and see what I can do with Spencer. I can change Spencer from what he was, transform him, morph him into the spiritual mighty warrior. Uh, crazy what he does with us. And I'm just looking at all of you and saying, I can see that. I can see the evidence of Jesus and what he's done, even though I didn't know most of you B.C. before Christ. Uh, but I can see what he's done in your life, and it's really, really cool. So we're going to talk about our weapons, this story. And why don't we Why don't we do this? And if you don't have a Bible, uh, those who have Bibles, let's just kind of share them. Um, see, I went off, because usually we have all the scriptures out. I understand why we didn't bring them long time ago, we asked you to bring them, and then I stopped bringing mine because we just usually cover everything in here. So let's turn to Second Chronicles 20, and let's read. There we go. Some of you have it on your smartphone. Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 1 through 26. What's that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I do want us to read it out loud. I want us to take a scripture and pass on the mic. So go ahead, Lisa. Why don't you start? And why don't we go... Um, why don't we go this way with the mic then? 
passage of tablets and keep going. Everybody just read one scripture and pass it right on down, please. Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Engadi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood before the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the Lord's temple in front of the new courtyard. He prayed, Lord, our God of our ancestors, You are the God who lives in the heavens and who rules over all the kingdoms of the nations. You possess strength and power. No one can stand against you. Our God, you, drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it as a permanent possession to the descendants of your friend Abraham. The descendants... Oh, yeah, I get it. And they dwell in it and have built your sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade, when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon whoever, son of Zechariah, the son of whoever, the son of whoever the son of, I don't know any any names are, a Levite and descendant of whoever, as he stood in the assembly. (laughs) And he said, hearken ye, all Judah and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. 
You will need, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites got up and loudly praised the Lord God of Israel. Early the next morning they marched out to the desert of Tekoa. When they were ready to march, Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Listen to me, you people of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. Trust in the Lord your God, and you will be safe. Trust the message of his prophets, and you will win. He met with the people and appointed musicians to play before the Lord and praise his majestic splendor. As they marched ahead of the warriors, they said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loyal love endures. Now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, for they were defeated. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came toward the watch tower in the wilderness, they looked into the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and the people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of (laughs) Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of whatever to this day. Okay, let's just stop right there. Um, couple things about this. Yeah. That was major justification for having all Bibles the same in Sunday school. Absolutely. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I write out message, you know, it's hard to follow, isn't it? When there's I, so many. I didn't hear one thing. I didn't get anything out of that because I was trying to keep my place because mine was so different yeah. from everybody else's. And Good point. I didn't hear Good point. I forgot that that was one of the reasons why I started doing message notes. One of the reasons, not the only reason. One of the reasons was because there were so many different versions out there, and it became hard for people to follow. Very quickly. Yeah. I remember when Jesus read this that Morocco means a place of blessing. Wow. Cool. Cool. I love that. Take note of that. That's cool. I love what Spencer's version said, though, loyal love. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool. Was that Spencer's version, or was that... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, is that the New Living Translation there? New English. Oh, cool. Anyhow, because we could get off into all the things. Basically, whenever I read through the Old Testament in my one year, 
I, for the most part, I, I know it's truth, it's historical, but we're not under that covenant. So most of the time when I read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, I'm looking for the pictures of what God was showing to us who live in grace. So when I read this story, it was a very real battle. This is not a figment of his imagination. He's not telling a story. This was a very real battle against a group of nations that when Israel was getting ready to go into the promised land, God told them, don't attack these because they're descendants of so-and-so, and they're descendants of so-and-so. And I've already told them I would bless them. I want you to go around their land. And so they went around their land. And this is why Jehoshaphat says, see how they're repaying us now by coming to attack us now that we're in here. So this is a very real battle. But when I look at this, I look at it from, through the spiritual lens of the new covenant. We're in just as real of a battle against just as real of an enemy who's merciless. It's winner take all. He's going to either destroy you or we're going to kick in the gates of hell. It's one or the other. Now, in the end, we know we win as an army. But I want us to win as individuals. I want to win battles myself. And so when I look at this, I begin to see all kinds of weapons. Now, look at that scripture at the top because we didn't read it. I'll read this one. At the very top there, it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we're going to look at some spiritual weapons that have power to demolish strongholds, just as real as in this story. And then we can go into the enemy and we can take his plunder, rather than him ripping us off. Uh, It's just a known fact, unfortunately, a sad fact, that much of the church walks defeated a lot of the times. They walk around defeated. And the scripture says we're more than conquerors. That's how Christ sees us. That doesn't mean we always walk in that. doesn't mean I've always walked in that. I've had my butt kicked by the enemy too. I've, I've been defeated. And that's not God's will. He wants Richard Curtis to rise above it and learn how to plunder the enemy and take his goods rather than him ripping me off and taking my goods. So I want to walk out what he's given me. And he says, I've given you some weapons. And I, I, I drew this beautiful painting, and I used Jehoshaphat and Israel to show you some of your weapons. They actually used spiritual weapons to win this battle. So let's take a look at some of the weapons. And I know you just read it. Now we're going to read all the same versions, so you'll still get to read the scriptures that go with each one of these weapons. And I'm not even saying this is a complete list. You may read this story and see things in there that I didn't see. These are just ones that the Lord has shown me kind of over the years. So, who read last? Becky, are you reading? No, Mary Lou? Yeah, you're reading that. Okay, verse 3. Now, what am I reading? Under point 1. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Okay, what do you think would go in that blank? Some of them are pretty obvious. Oops, I guess we put it up there, didn't we? Seeking the Lord. Yeah, seeking the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Seeking the Lord. Why is it important to seek the Lord when we're going into battle? For direction. Look, a long time ago I was doing a study on healing, and and all I was studying was Jesus. I thought, I want to teach on healing, and so I'm just going to study the way Jesus did it. You know what I found out? I found out he healed a lot of different ways. That there's no ABC that you can give people and say, this is the way it happened. And one time he's spitting on their eyes. Another time he's speaking to them. Another time he's commanding a demon. I mean, it was always different. So each time he got specific direction, because he only did what the Father, he saw the Father doing. 
So each time he said, okay, Father, I see you doing this this time. And he did it specifically for that time. When it comes to winning battles, it's different every time. I'm going to give you a... I chose this story because it gives us tons of weapons. Sometimes you need one weapon and you win the battle. Or to use an analogy of a mechanic, sometimes you can get a job done with one tool. Other times you need several tools. How do you know which? Depends on the battle. And so we have to seek the Lord. How do I get victory in this? There was one time they won by fasting. There was another time they won by walking around and shouting. I mean, it varied. So the first thing to do if you want to win a battle is seek the Lord. All right? Verse 3, next part of it. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. All right, what do you think goes in this point? Fasting. 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 There actually was a battle in the Old Testament where Israel went out once, got defeated. God told them to go out and you're going to win. They went out and they got defeated. They come back, they're crying. They said, what's going on? You told us to go out. And the Lord says, go out. You're going to win. They went out again. Got defeated. They come back crying. He says, and so what are you talking about? You told us to go out. This time they added fasting. And they went out and they won. There are times where fasting is literally the tool or the weapon you need. Tabby's got to leave us. She remembered this week. That's all right. She has to pick up her son and another boy. So we hate to lose you, but bless you, Tabby. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So, but why do we fast? Besides the fact that there might be a, a war that we can only win with fasting, why would you fast? We're commanded to. We're commanded to. Good. That's an excellent reason. I mean, disciples do it because they're commanded to. They don't ask. What's another reason why you fast? Remember, this one's connected with the one right before it, inquiring of the Lord. Okay, so whenever you're, yeah, so connecting that with seeking the Lord, when we fast, what are we denying? We're denying the flesh. We're dying to the flesh. We're getting flesh out of the way. So fasting is a way to get the flesh out of the way so that we can hear from God. How do we win this war, Lord? How do we, it's not twisting God's arm. Spencer, yeah. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, He says it this way. He says, not if you fast. In Matthew 6, he says, when you fast. So it's assumed, Jesus was assuming from that, that we would fast. Good question. Excellent question. All right. The third one, verse 4. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. What would you put in this one? The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. They came together. Came together corporately. Okay, the word we used was unity. Unity. Possibly there's no greater weapon whenever it's a battle, especially when it's a battle against a corporate body, like say a church or a family. There may not be any greater weapon than unity. What does the Bible say? It says one can put a thousand to flight. What can two agree and do? Two multiplies, it goes to ten. There is such power in unity. On the other hand, conversely, 
The opposite is equally true. What happens when there's division? What did Jesus say? A house divided against itself? It won't stand. It will fall. So if there's division, it causes defeat. Unity is critical. It is critical for winning battles. Right? Next. Then Jehoshaphat stood up and said, O Lord God. Okay, what would you put here? Yeah. He's praying. He's actually praying. Before all these people that have gathered together in unity, here's the leader standing up and he's praying. James 5.16. I would encourage you, please write that reference down. James 5.16. By the way, why don't you write down the reference, and I'm going to borrow this pen right here, and write down the reference for the, the question that uh, Spencer asked. And that's, I don't know the exact scripture that was. Let's see. It talks about giving. It talks about praying. It talks about fasting. And, uh, and in all three cases, he doesn't say if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Um, but I would encourage you to put Matthew 6 for that one. Under prayer, put James 5.16, if you would. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person <clears throat> avails much. The effectual, effective, fervent, passionate, intense prayer of a righteous man or woman. We are righteous because we're clothed with his righteousness. Avails much. Your prayers make a difference. Now, what will the enemy tell you about your prayers? What will he whisper in your ear, Anna, about your prayers? Yeah, he doesn't hear you. What's something else? What's another tactic he might use? It's pointless. It's pointless to pray. That's too small. That's, well, that's too small to pray for. You should just be doing something about that yourself. Yeah, yeah, you're not right. You see, you're not because it does say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. How many in the room are righteous? Every everybody should be going. Yeah, I am righteous. That's what that's D two O one. Now we're righteous because of His blood. So we stand in His righteousness. We stand in our own righteousness. We don't deserve anything. My righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. That's my best. So I stand in his righteousness, but you're right. He will constantly do that. Well, you're not so righteous. I heard you yell at that driver the other day. <laughs> What's that? I didn't? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about, you're right. That would be your response to the, to the enemy then? Yeah, sorry. No, no, because... Yeah, because, no, no, that's good, that's good. Because the enemy, I just, I need to follow where you're at. But the enemy will use that, and he does use that. I tell you, he does use that. He'll also tell you it's a waste of time. You're wasting your time, man. You need to be out doing something. Let me tell you this. This is so important, because he told me this. Because I, I, I'm like a type A personality where I always got to be doing something. Always got to be carrying something with me. Always doing something. It's good sometimes, and it's horrific sometimes. So prayer... That's why I combine walking with prayer. Because otherwise, prayer is hard for me to do. And the enemy, I'm sure, has whispered in my ear many times, so you're wasting your time. I'm telling you that most battles are won on our knees 
And then we just go collect the spoils afterwards. That's where the battle's actually won. It started to be won right here when he started to pray. By the way, and I didn't share this earlier, points one through seven is our part. Remember we talked on Sunday about partnering with God? One through seven is all our part. Then we're going to talk about God's part. He does the heavy lifting. I love that. All right? Verse 12. We're skipping down to verse 12. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. Who said that? Who was saying we don't know what to do? Who is Jehoshaphat? He's the leader. That's real comforting to hear. That'd be like me standing in front of everybody going, and I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, I don't have a clue what to do. And all the people are like, we're following you. Now, why is that a good thing, what he said? It is humility. Did I put that up there? Oh, no, you're sharp. Humility. Humility. He humbled himself. God always honors humility. I really looked at this verse, though. It really spoke to me because I could picture myself as a leader standing and saying, I don't know what to do, God. I don't know what to do. And all the people following are listening to me talk. That should build confidence in the people following rather than a lack of confidence because they hear that I'm crying out to the one who can tell me what to do. So that should actually instill confidence. A parent before their kids, Lord, we don't know what to do here. Oh, my, I can't pray that. My kids will think that they'll lose confidence. No, that should increase their confidence because you're going to the one who can show you what to do. You're acknowledging that you don't have a clue how to win this. That's what Joshua was saying. I'm clueless, God. I don't know what to do. We're going to get wiped out unless you tell us what to do. And God heard his prayer and literally changed things. But there were a couple other things they did first themselves. Verse 12, what's next? Number six. Mr. Spencer, you're on. You're on. I'm sorry. That's right. But our eyes are on you. Okay, so what would you say that weapon would be? Focus. Very good. Focus. Their focus was on the Lord. Why is it important to focus on the Lord when you're facing a big battle? Anybody? Ah, very good. Very good. You look at the enemy, you are going to get afraid. So they took their eyes off of the enemy, which had struck tremendous fear in them and said they were afraid and sought the Lord. And instead they chose to focus on the Lord. Whatever you focus on, that's what's going to capture your heart and your mind. So we have to focus on the Lord. All of us face battles. You can either focus on that battle or you can focus on the Lord who's the answer to that battle. Isaiah 26.3. You can write that reference down. It says this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I've claimed that many times. When I've been facing a battle, and literally, I've, been, I've faced a lot of these kind of battles where I didn't know what to do, especially as a leader. I don't know what to do, God. But my eyes are on you. I'm focused on you because only you can give me peace. And when we focus on him, we can have peace that passes understanding. I sat in the living room of a precious couple 
and it just seemed like all hell was breaking out around them. They were about to collapse. They were about to, I mean, they were at their wit's end. And as I prayed, as I was driving over there, I said, God, give me something to give to this couple. And the Lord spoke to me in Philippians 4, 7. Tell them I want to give them a peace that passes their comprehension. And I want to give it to them in the midst of what they're facing. But if they focus on what they're facing, they'll never have it. But if they focus on me, they can have peace even while the enemy is coming right at them. Peter walking on the water great illustration of this. The moment he took his eyes off the Lord, the same wind, same waves, same storm, now he's sinking. He keeps his eyes on the Lord, he's rising above it and walking. That is an incredible, incredible story. And it's true for all of us. There have been times where I've been sinking, and God in his mercy goes, here, let me help you. Come on, let's go into the boat. Oh, guys, a little faith. You know, he, he kind of chides them a little bit. You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. Peter, you were doing good, man. You, you got out of the boat. Nobody else did. I want to commend you for that. You got out of the boat. And you were looking at me. What were you doing? You were looking at me. I was walking. I was walking on that water, Lord. What happened as soon as you took your focus off of me? Sink. You guys listening? Are all of you in the boat listening? Because I just taught you something there that you're going to need in the days ahead when you face other kind of battles. Focus on me, and you'll have peace. You don't focus, and all you see is the enemy breathing down your neck. And you can tell. It doesn't mean that we don't tell people what's going on either. I don't want to get into hyper-confession where we can never say, this is what I'm facing. I don't want, you know, when I go over somebody's house, when Jesus asked the blind man what's wrong, if he didn't say, oh, nothing, I can see no, he said, I'm blind. I want to see. So I, I'm not, I think we can tell people what's going on, but then we need to direct our attention and their attention to the Lord and make the focus on the Lord. And he can give them peace in the midst of it. Yeah. This is, it, there's a, a story that comes to me, and I'm just going to share, slip it in right here, that, uh, uh, that I hadn't planned on sharing, but I think this would be a cool place to share it. And, I, and maybe, if I've told you guys this, sometimes I can't remember what I've told or where I tell stories. So you can just stop me, but it's a cool story. We, uh, we had a building that sold out from under us in, um, in southern Illinois. Our church had moved from a home to a double-car garage, and we put about 70 people in a double-car garage. And then we moved into this place and rented this big building and uh, plenty of room to grow. And as soon as we moved in there, it was during this time where we were people seeing people saved. Every, I told you guys about for a couple months, three months, four months. Every Sunday, people were being saved during the worship time. Always happened during worship. And the church was just growing, growing, growing. It's just, I mean, we were just blown away by it. And then all of a sudden, we had a two-year lease on this building. We had about a year and a couple months left, and we received a notice that we had 30 days to get out of that building. And uh, I'm like, what? And so I went to a lawyer, and I Asked him, I said, this can't be true. We've got two years on our lease. He said, well, there's a loophole in your lease. It's right here. And I said, oh, my gosh. How are we supposed to know that? He said, you hire people like me. <laughs> no, we didn't hire you. Now what are we supposed to do? He said, you have actually, by the laws of Illinois, you have 15 extra days. You have 45 days. But he said, in 45 days, you and your church have to be out of that building. We had remodeled it. We had done a ton of work to it. And I was, at first, I was fighting flesh and blood. I was spitting angry. 
I was mad. I wanted to get a hold of that guy. I wanted to lay hands on him in a way that's not biblical. I was, I was, just, I was mad, and I was fighting in the flesh. But, I mean, I knew that that was useless, and I knew none of that was fruitful, and so I had to start praying. And we got to the point where we were, um, I, think, I think it was about two weeks away, and we had scoured the land, southern Illinois, small rural area, looking for a big building that could have about 200 people. We had about 150 people at this point. And um, couldn't find a thing. Couldn't find a thing. Nothing. And so I remember we went on vacation, and we had asked one guy. He had, a, he had a building that he was using for television. His name is Mike Atkins, and he had this building. That he, was, he was a Christian guy. He would let some churches use it before, but, uh, but he had been burnt by churches. And so he told us, he said, uh, I basically am never going to do that again. I'm not doing it with the church. And he said, I'm sorry, but we're using it for television. I said, okay. And uh, a couple of my associates had gone and said, asked him. Or I asked him the first time. We're on vacation. Linda has a dream, like Tabitha, and in this dream, we're asking him, and he's going to say yes. So I'm like, wow, praise God. What a great dream. So I called the associates, because I'm on vacation, and I said, you know what? Next Sunday is our last Sunday. I've got to have a word to share. I think we got our answer. And I said, I want you to go and ask Mike Atkins, because he's going to tell you yes this time. And so they went, and we, we, we're driving home. I'm at perfect peace, not even thinking about it. I call him up, and I said, so what did he say? He said, he said, no. I don't know what to do. I'm embarrassed to stand up in front of people. They know how hard we've been looking. But I'm clueless. I don't have a clue where we're going to go. I'm clueless. We have a week and a half, and I don't even have an idea where we're going to go. Not like a handful of people. And so, I, hang on, the story's not over. And so, I get home, Sunday morning, I'm preparing. I'm having some of that perfect peace. When I focus on the Lord, it would be like, oh, peace, God's in control. The moment I focus on no building, and what am I going to say? Peace was gone, I'm sinking. And it was literally a warfare going on. I'm walking out the door, the phone's ringing, and I'm like, man, it's typical me, I'm pushing it anyhow, and I'm like, oh, oh, you know, but I'm thinking, well, maybe it's important, you know, there's no caller ID, there's nothing like that back then, so I pick up the phone, and it's Mike Atkins. Is it rich? And I said, yeah. And uh, so a couple of your guys came by, said, I guess I, you know, I share with them that I, I just don't do it. And I said, yeah, they told me, that's all right, that's cool, I understand. And he said, well, no, it's not cool and it's not all right. He said, the Lord has been kicking my butt ever since then. And he said, um, tell you what, he's told me to do. He said, you can use the building. But he told me I'm not even supposed to collect any rent. From you. And he said, for the next two years, it's yours, rent free. I went and I had my praise report to share before the church. He still had to move. But you talk about an unbelievable praise report. This was a battle where I didn't know what to do. And all of these things that we're talking about here, we were doing all of them. All of them. Because this, this is, in a sense, our part. One through seven. If you, want to put, if you want to put one through seven, that's our part, if you haven't put it already. We had a couple comments. Lisa. The, can I share that scripture goes? Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Say that again, because that's truth. Part A, whose mind has stayed on you. Part B, because he trusts also. It's not just, well, I'm thinking about Jesus and hoping I have good thoughts, but I trust you, Lord. That's very good. Thank you for sharing the rest of that. Steve, you were going to say something. Well, that's actually a good question. Like, what was, what was his I don't remember the, uh, the details of it, to be honest with you, except that she heard Mike say yes. Oh, yeah, but, but I didn't ask, though. That's, a, that's the thing. But in a sense, the answer came to me and not to them. So in that sense, it was what the dream was. Because it did come to me and not to them. Their, their answer was no. Good point. Good point. I didn't even think about that as far as... And I'm not sure if I asked or what. She just said, I remember... I don't remember the details of the dream, except that she said, Mike Atkins, I know for a fact, it was Mike Atkins said we could have the building. And I'm like, great. Prayer answered. Man, I, I, I cannot tell you the test of my faith when the leaders told me he said no. I cannot begin to describe how amplified as a leader that was to me. I can sympathize with Jehoshaphat. The people are scared, but Jehoshaphat as a leader is feeling the weight of all those people because he loves these people. He loves these people. All right, let me give you some more. Let's go on. Uh, verse 13. Oh, I like this one. All of the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. What do you think this point is? Ah, it was everybody. But specifically, there's, there's somebody mentioned in here. You're right. It is everybody. But specifically, and you used the word, but it was specifically with their families. Their little ones were with them. I can remember one time my parents, uh, I had my brother, um, my brother Mark was a reckless one, but one time it was the two of us together. I was riding an ice, an ice cream bike. You ever see? Now they have ice cream trucks. But I had an ice cream bike. You know, and the, the freezer was in front of me, and I'm riding along. Well, that was a great place to put my brother because he wanted to ride on it. And a great place to go down a hill with my brother on it. And we're flying down this hill, and... And all of a sudden, I saw this hole, and so I turned, and whew, my brother goes flying out. And we were laughing so hard. I mean, he, he hurt himself pretty bad as far as a cut. But we were laughing so hard. What we didn't know is that cut became infected. And my brother was only the third case in the state of Ohio who came down with osteomyelitis because of this little cut. It happened about three weeks later. Uninfected, went into his system, and it began to eat away his bone. And I remember they didn't know what was wrong with him. They had no idea what was wrong with him because it was so new to them. And my parents coming home going, he could die. He had his fever. They couldn't get his fever under control. And they gathered us. And honestly, I, I was raised by Christian parents. We went to church. We did a lot of wonderful things together. But I don't remember us praying together hardly ever until later I prayed with my mom. This is my dad, spiritual leader. At this point he was because he was desperate. My dad's become much more of a spiritual leader now, but not back then. My dad said, we've got to pray. And he gathered all of us and led us in a word of prayer. But we were just little kids. I was the oldest. 
and yet we're crying out to God. I remember my parents crying and crying to the Lord and praying. I don't know that there was a lot of faith, but it was neat to see. And I think God looked down and goes, wow, this is just what happened in the days of Jehoshaphat. They gathered their kids with them. I mean, they got the whole family. This is good teaching time for the kids to teach them how to pray, teach them how God answers prayer. So I want to tell you guys, some of you still have kids at home. Include them into those prayer times, which I think that you probably already do. Teach them how God answers prayer. Let them be a part of that intercession. When there's a big need and it's facing mom and dad and something they can handle, you've got to you know, gauge it to their age. Let them be a part of it. Because they gathered their families. It wasn't just them. They said, hey, hey Joe and, and Todd and, and Sue, come on. Where are we going? We're going to go pray. We got an enemy coming. You guys are either going to be dead. I'm sure they didn't, parents didn't tell them that, but that's what they're thinking. We're either dead or we're going to pray. And you're coming with us. I don't want to pray. This is serious. We're praying. And they came. Because I could just face it. Kids weren't different then than they are now. And I'm at maybe a little more obedient because the law was a little stricter on kids back in that day. But at the same time, I'm sure that not all of them are, but they've gathered the family. I saw this point. I thought, that's a cool point. Get the family together. Husbands and wives, pray together. If you have a believing spouse, pray together. If you don't, you've got the Lord as your husband man. Pray to him. Seek him. All right? It's a family thing. Next. Now we're going to talk about what God did. The next three points are God's heart. Verse 14 and 15. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Joseph. Can I stop you just for a moment? Where you see the word then, in my Bible, when I'm writing my notes, it's so funny, I have this multicolored pen. I'm a little goofy on this. And and I, I use blue for the worldly thoughts. I use red only for God's stuff. I use green for the believer's stuff. And But when I see the word then, I always find out what it's connecting. And I put an arrow. I literally draw an arrow under the then. From this before to this after. So the first seven points that happen, now, then, this is what happened. In response, God, in response to one through seven, or maybe it was one of those that he's responding to. I don't know. But in response to that, here comes God's answer now. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Spencer. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. He said, listen, this is what the Lord says to you. All right. So what is this one? What point would this be? Direction would be excellent. We're using a different word, but that would, be, that would work. How about let's put in prophecy in this. This is what the Lord says. This is prophetic word getting ready to come now. Jehaziel, the man that uh, Mary Lou later on couldn't pronounce his name, but that's no big deal because... It really wasn't Jehaziel who was speaking. He stands up and says, This is what the Lord says in response to your prayer, in response to your fasting, in response to your bringing your kids and gathering here, in response to Jehoshaphat, to your humility when you said, I don't know what to do. God's getting ready to tell you specifically what to do. Listen, I'm getting ready to prophesy. There's a scripture, and I, uh, it came to me, Literally, about 15 minutes before leaving, I didn't have a chance to look it up. I think it's in Isaiah, where it says he doesn't really do anything until, unless he lets the prophets know ahead of time. Do you know where that scripture is, Steve? Amos? Maybe Amos 3.16? You can kind of put that down. We'll, we'll, we'll look it up later, but maybe we can all kind of look for that. It's a scripture. It was Old Covenant now, but at the same time, he says, I don't really do anything except I consult and let the prophets know. 
And so there will be people that we're going to need, these sons of Issachar, these prophets in the Bible. And by the way, um, I personally, my personal conviction, this isn't the gift of prophecy, that any of us can be using the gift of prophecy, because Corinthians says that's for edification, exhortation, comfort. It's not that scripture. I think it's in Isaiah, but I could be wrong. We'll, we'll look it up later. We'll, we'll take that as an exi- assignment there, Steve, and later on check that out. And if you find it, maybe you can let us know next week. Uh, the gift of prophecy is for exhortation, edification, and comfort. It's real simple. Any of us can be using the gift of prophecy. But the prophet, when he speaks, it's not those simple things. It's a word of knowledge giving precise information that is unknown except by God. On the priest? Oh, wow. Because that's what they would consult. And then when the prophets came, you don't hear about them. That's, that's cool. That's a very, very cool point. The prophets, and we still have New Testament prophets, that will have words of knowledge or words of wisdom. They'll be very specific. Again, there's a difference between the gift of prophecy, which I'm used in, which is for comfort, exhortation, edification, very simple, and a prophet who speaks with the gift of word of knowledge. I have, I have specific knowledge about what to do here. Specific insight, what's going on here. Um, take a look at this, because we're going to take this. We're going to flow right into the next one. Here's what he says. This is what he says. Thus saith the Lord. And now he tells them, not comfort, not, well, it gives them comfort, gives them edification, it gives them exhortation, but he gives them a word of knowledge, which is very specific. I love this here. Let's go ahead and look at it. Who's got that? Tomorrow they will be climbing up by. You will find them at. You will not have to fight. Now, I didn't write out all of the points there, but basically he's saying, you're going to find them right over here. And they're going to be climbing right up over there. And you're not even going to have to fight. Now, if somebody stood up and said that on a Sunday morning, a lot of us would have a hard time believing it. We're not going to have to fight. There's an army out there. Does anybody else have a word? Obviously, you know, Brother Steve over here is kind of flipped out on his lid. He's, I don't know what he's been smoking lately, but that can't be a word from God because this is a battle. We're going to be fighting. I mean, when, when have we ever had a battle that we haven't had to fight? We've had to fight. This was not an easy word, but it was specific. The way I liken this, if I was to give an analogy, it'd be like me being on a football team. And as we get in the huddle on defense, the Lord tells me, this is the play they're calling, Rich. This is what they're going to do. I mean, that'd be stacked. I would know every time. They'd be getting ready to run their play, and I'd know exactly which way they're running, exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what God said. He said they're going to be right over here. In fact, they're going to be climbing up over there. And you won't even have to fight. Very specific. We need prophets in the church today to speak, thus saith the Lord. He can speak it to our heart, though. He can give us a gift of word of knowledge. A word of wisdom. That's very specific. Very supernatural. Um, I remember a, a guy by the name of Howard Hill wrote a book called How to Live Like a King's Kid. 
And in this book, he tells a story how that he was witnessing uh, to these pacifists. And these pacifists, it was on a college campus, and they were arguing about the Old Testament and all the guts and all the fights. And, and he said, no matter how much he tried to direct it to Jesus, he said, I was losing this battle intellectually. He said, I just wasn't winning it. And so he said, I begin to pray, and the Lord showed me. He said, this guy right over here? He said, right there, the one who claims he's a real pacifist, hates guns, hates everything. He said, I'm going to show you the inside of his house right now. He said, okay, go ahead and open that door. Now turn to your left. Open that door right there. That's a closet. Look in the back of his closet. Oh, shotgun and a rifle. He said, now I want you to tell this pacifist that. And he said, now this is a step of faith. Word of knowledge. And he looks at this guy and he says, you, you, what's, what's your name? Oh, my name is Spencer. You're a pacifist. You don't believe in weapons or anything, right? I mean, he sets him up really good. He goes, no, I think they're all wrong. He said, well, can I describe to you something? And he describes the front of this house. He said, do you live in a house like that? The guy's already shocked. Who told him? He said, I'm going to walk in your front door and I'm turning to the left and there's a door right over here. I'm opening that door. And you can see the guy's just get ghostly white. He said, in the back of your closet, you have a shotgun and a rifle. The man fell to his knees, repented, received Jesus, and revival broke out on that campus because somebody had a word of knowledge, supernatural information that only God could know. He won that battle, not intellectually. He was losing it by trying all the scriptures he knew. He wasn't winning. So God says, let me step in. Let me take over, and let me show you something. We need the supernatural. This is what happens. When we do one through seven, and maybe it's just one of those sometimes, maybe it's three of them sometimes, God begins to step in, and he gives us, I didn't put it up there, words of knowledge. He gives us specific, detailed stuff that nobody else could know, that is so cool that it's just definitely God. Now, you say, Rich, do you think God still does this stuff? I know he still does this stuff. I don't see a lot of it, but I expect to see more of it. Supernatural. We're going to win battles supernaturally. Because I don't have the strength to win battles. I'm all, I'm, you know, you want to see what I was like before Jesus? I was, this, I was a misfit. I was a nobody. But now I'm a mighty warrior. And I'm learning how to use the weapons of my warfare. They're not fleshly. They're not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds when I learn how to use them. But God's people, for the most part, don't use any of these weapons, or very few of them. Amos 3.7, thank you. Go ahead and read it real quick. Do you have a mic? Let's, let's, because we're taping. So Amos 3.7, this is referring back to what we talked about a little while ago. Thank you. Certainly. The Sovereign Lord does nothing without first revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. Yeah. Amos 3.7. So the, whatever you wrote there, if you wrote my Isaiah, cross that Isaiah, I'll put Amos 3.7. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. We need New Testament. Because the New Testament prophets haven't gone away. They're part of the fivefold. So we need this in the body of Christ. And it could be any one of us that God chooses to use. That, that's the cool thing about it. And speak to him. Wow. That's sweet. That's sweet. I love to hear when leaders 
invite spiritual insight to come in and share. That's cool stuff. All right, next one. You will not have to fight in this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. This one here, he gives them clear direction. He says, you're not, three things he tells them. The biggest one they heard was, you're not going to have to fight. You're not, this is one battle that's going to be different than all those other battles. Those other battles, you had to go out. You had, you had to go out and fight. This one, you're not even going to have to fight. Take your position, though. You're going to have to take your position. You're still going to have to stand in your positions. And you're going to have to stand firm. When you see the enemy coming at you and it looks like, oh, my gosh, you're going to have to stand firm in your position. Now, they have a choice at this particular point because that's the end of God's part. Right there, God has done. He, he spoke the word. He said, this is what I'm going to do. That's not the end because he does more later. But that's the end at this point. I've given you a word. Now are you going to trust my word? So let's take a look at the next points because now we're responding back to him. Verse 18 and 19. Who's next? Jehoshaphat bowed, and all the people fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some stood up and praised the Lord with a very loud voice. You know what? This one is simply they started to worship. And somebody once told me, and you might want to write this down, Worship is the language of faith. Worship is the language of faith. It gives mouth to faith. When you're truly believing God, it's easy to worship the Lord. Before this, they're praying, they're fasting, they're seeking God, they're crying out to God, they're in humility, I don't know what to do. Now all of a sudden, we heard a word from God, and they break into praise. Why? Because they believe the word. They believe God has spoken. They believe we're not even going to have to fight. We're going to win this thing. They're no longer afraid. Faith is building in their heart. And they burst into worship and praise. They bow before the Lord and worshiping before the Lord. You can tell when people believe. The situation, had it changed yet at this point? Had anything changed yet? No. Nothing had changed yet. But it had changed in here. Now they had a word from God. Now they had direction. Now Jehoshaphat says, I at least know we're not going to have to fight. He still didn't know that there was a harder part yet to come. But at this point, he goes, I know we're not going to have to fight. And that to me is pretty cool. Somehow we're going to win this without even fighting. And he believed it. He believed it. And God is moved by, by our faith, which is the next point. Go ahead and read because these kind of flow right into each other. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. I wrote this down. I want to read it to you. I wrote this down. God was about to demand of them a step of obedience that would require them to raise their level of faith. He was about to demand of them a step of obedience that would require them to raise their faith. So far, all he has said is they're going to come up over here, they're going to be right over there, and you're not going to have to fight. They need to believe that, but they still don't know what they're doing. Take your positions. What's our position? He's about to tell them, and apparently this was done privately to Jehoshaphat. He gets the instruction from the Lord, and the next day, the next day he tells them their positions. And he tells them the step of faith they're going to have to take. The step of obedience based on faith, which, by the way, is the next, the next point, the last point. 2020, the power. 
I just think these people jumped at obedience. When they heard the word of God, something changed. And they believed God. And they went in and they took the plunders of the enemy. And once again, instead of the enemy walking into believers' lives and kicking their butt and stealing and robbing and destroying them, which I've seen way too much of in my years of ministry. I've seen way too much of that. And I know it's not God's will. I know the word. And I've been one of them at times. So I'm not, you know, I'm not belittling anybody else. But I think it's happening way. And God's saying, look, I can teach you guys. I've given you these weapons. Start to use them. So, Father, we just thank you for your word that so encourages us. We all, like Jehoshaphat, all of us in this room face battles. Some might be in a battle right now. Some might be facing overwhelming things that are just wanting to inundate them and swamp them. Or we may know of people in our church or our families or our friends that are. God, help us to use your weapons and to see victories that are just as supernatural as what we studied tonight. Let this leap off the page and not be just theory we know in our head, but reality that we know in our walk. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, everybody. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, here you go. Our, the soldier's uniform, the armor. I, I go from top. This is not the order of the scripture. I just always do it. This is how I learned it. My own self, the helmet of salvation, dealing with our thoughts, our minds. Boy, there could be a message in this too. Our thoughts, our minds. That's where a lot of the warfare is at. We put the helmet of salvation. Our mind is saved. Our thoughts are saved. I thought Bethany did a good job of talking about our thoughts. The breastplate of righteousness, we stand, that's right over our heart. Lord, I belong to you. I am righteous in you. And when the enemy tells me I'm not righteous, he's a liar. I am righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And I stand before him in righteousness. The belt of truth literally would pull up the skirt of the warrior so that they wouldn't trip over their skirts. Literally, so, so the belt of truth, we have truth so that we don't trip over the airs. We've got to know the word of God because the enemy... The enemy will come at us with humanistic things out there. You're going to start hearing arguments, and from a human perspective, they'll make sense. I mean, we're hearing more and more from a secular society, and we've got to know the truth or people are going to get tripped up. I thought it was very telling when Bethany shared this past Sunday, and she said she was in a group of what is supposed to be very committed believers, and half of them felt like homosexuality was wrong, and half of them felt like it was okay. That's very telling how we need the belt of truth when people don't even know the word of God. Now, again, they're listening to humanistic arguments out there. You'll be convinced, of, contrary to the word, many times if you start listening to the reasoning of the wor- world rather than the reasoning of Almighty God and his word. Uh, so we need the belt of truth. We need uh, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace or with readiness for the gospel. This is where we're running after the enemy. We're not, the armor's not just defensive. We're running after him. When John the Baptist had his head taken off, and I always, you know, to me, I read these stories and never gave it much thought until, until we had that one guy, Pearl was his last name, and uh, they talked about him being beheaded, and for a while it was on the Internet. Fortunately, I didn't see it, because a guy I worked with, his sister saw it, and said she couldn't sleep for weeks. Uh, because they thrust that knife in its back, and he let out the scream, and then twist around. 
And all of a sudden, when I read about John's head being beheaded, all of a sudden it becomes a little more real now. It's like, oh my gosh, that was ghastly. When Jesus heard about that, it says he was grieved in his spirit. You know what he did right after that, though? He went out and healed more people, delivered more people. In other words, he said, Satan, you think that you've won? I'm going into your territory with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and I am literally going to kick some spiritual butt right now. And he literally ransacked the devil's house. He said, you're not going to mess with the kingdom of God. That was how he responded to his cousin, John, who, who was the one who introduced him, who he probably loved greatly when he heard about him being beheaded. That was the first thing he did. He went out with the feet shot, ready to go. The fifth thing, coming back up, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Jesus used the sword of the Spirit. He used it in the wilderness. That's the greatest example, I think, of where the one thing you have to remember is in the second temptation there, the enemy also used the Word of God. So that's where we need to have our belts fitted with truth. We need to know the whole word because the enemy will take little pieces of the word out and he actually used the word. If you look at the three temptations of Jesus, Satan used, and he did. He used literally a part of the word. He didn't even mistranslate it. You know, I don't understand. I was just reading through that passage yesterday or the day before. And it, just, it says he took Jesus. It's like, or at least my version says something about he took. How could Jesus let him take him there? Yeah, that's a good, I don't know. I don't know. That's a great, great thought. Give that some thought. These are things that you guys are, you know, because I've read that many, many times, and I probably just blew right over that. But, I mean, the enemy takes us places probably all the time, and we don't realize it in our minds or whatever. And the next thing we know, here we are fighting that warfare. So I, that's how I would think of it, but I don't know. Good point. Yeah, I, yeah. In other words, I don't even—I don't think that he necessarily went to a literal place. Even, I think a mo- this was up here, and it was a warfare in the mind. Yeah, but I mean, the enemy could tell you that. Uh, fine, whatever. I mean, we can't prove it either way. I, I don't—I don't want to get into. Ni- nitpicking on it. Excellent point. The bottom line is the enemy takes all of us certain places. Jesus walked as God-man. 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 In his flesh, he got tired. In his flesh, he got hungry. In his flesh, he was tempted, the Bible says, in every point, but without sin. He's the only person who's ever walked in complete righteousness. So he did get tempted. And this was a case where the enemy, in fact, at the end of that, it says, the enemy left until he had another opportune. So, in other words, I don't think it stopped. The temptation stopped necessarily then. We just know that Jesus overcame temptation. The thing to really pull away from that story, not, to, not that your question was wrong, ask the Lord. Ask him, Lord, tell me. Give me insight into this. Because it doesn't really explain it. So, so therefore, he'll speak something to your heart out of that that will speak to you. But the thing really to remember to take away from that story is that he won all three of those temptations and he showed us how to win them. And in every case, he used the sword of the Spirit. He used the Word of God in every one. So if Jesus did that, there must be power in that Word to come against the enemy, the Word of God. Exactly. I guess I saw like 
Excellent point. Excellent point. The bottom line, again, bottom line, whether he's up on that temple top, whether this is all being battled out in his mind, to me, it's very real. No matter what it was, it was very real. It was very intense. And the enemy used, that's the one where he used the scripture. He used Psalms 91. You jump up this, the angels will gather there. You won't dash your foot. I'm not quoting it perfectly. But basically, he's quoting Psalms 91. Jesus comes back and says, yeah, but also the word says you're not supposed to tempt. I mean, when God the Father was talking about this, he didn't mean that we're supposed to sit there and walk out in front of a car and say, look, the angels are going to protect you. Boom! Well, there went Rich. <laughs> we have his funeral now, and Rich really believed this. It wasn't true. He's in heaven, though we like that. Anyway. And the shield of faith. The shield of faith I love because the Bible says that with the shield of faith, we can quench. This, one, this is important. You have to believe this. Every fiery dart we throw it away with faith. Every fiery dart. Not some, not most. So when I have the way that the Lord, this is how he spoke it to me. Again, I, I guess we could probably, you know, anytime you're looking at the word, you could probably look at it from different perspectives. But the way he spoke it to me was when I have unbelief, it's like having holes in my shield. And fiery darts can come in and they can hit me. I'm susceptible. I'm like Peter. I start to sink. I look very, very unsupernatural. I look very, very much like the old Richard Curtis. But when I have faith, faith, I can literally shield myself from every fiery weapon he throws my way. I would say that faith is one of the big battlegrounds. It was for Jehoshaphat. If they had not believed God, they would have never put the praisers out front because that didn't make sense. They would have expected to fight because it didn't make sense not to fight. Some of these things were unprecedented before that. But they believed. And because they believed, they saw the supernatural work of God. And that's cool. Well, our classes get longer and longer. Next week, last class. You guys will probably be very thankful for the last class because of how long we're going. So... Uh, good class. It, it'll sound different, church government, but it's really going to be an important uh, class. If we don't mind, could we grab the tables as we do each week? Uh, it's all extra credit, but yeah, there is a quiz next week. So.